So Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that all your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised you up, when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that it is not um, just mere words on a page that do not speak, but thank you that by your spirit they come alive in our hearts and minds. And um, I pray now that that is what would happen, uh, that our hearts and minds would be enlivened, that we would know more about who you are, what you've done for us, and how you want us to live in light of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's um, just sharpen our thinking just a little bit before we get going. The difference between a witness and a newsreader uh, is stark, okay? Um, Both communicate an event, but only one of them sees the event, okay? Uh, 
Uh, think of a, of a news presenter who communicates uh, horrific news like a robot uh, with no emotions. And why? Well, because they're detached from it, aren't they? They didn't see it, um, and so they're not gripped by it. They're not a witness of the event. So it doesn't matter to them. We're going to deal with that word matter a lot. It doesn't matter to them. But think about the eyewitness who sees the horrific event. Um, These people are deeply impacted by it and they are shocked and they're often brought to tears. They cannot believe their eyes at what they've seen, right? That's the difference between a newsreader and a witness. Uh, With this distinction in mind, listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Famous words. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus does not simply instruct his disciples where they should go. He's instructing them about what they should do. They are to bear witness. Which means that Jesus did not envisage their task to be like that of a news presenter. You see, the disciples, they've all seen it, haven't they? They've been shocked, they've been left speechless, they've even doubted their eyes. They've seen it all, they can now bear witness to it. Reproducing the good news that Jesus is the king like a newsreader is very different to bearing witness to the truth that Jesus is alive, not dead, and that it matters. There's a difference. What would cause someone to bear witness to Jesus in such a way? Well, that's what I want to explore tonight by taking up Peter's witness uh, that we just read about in Acts chapter 3. Let me set the scene for you again that we just went through. Uh, In Acts chapter 3, verse 1, Peter and John are heading to the temple to pray. And they're confronted by a man who can't walk, and he asks them for money. And we saw there that Peter does not give the man what he wanted. He gave him what he needed. um, Peter says those famous words, verse 6, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And so we read in the next two verses that, uh, that the man's body strengthens immediately uh, and he responds by walking and leaping and praising God. If you grew up in a church, you'd sing the song just then. But what I want to focus on is not that response. I want to focus on the other response in the temple that day in verses 9 to 10 because that's Peter's concern. We learned that the people in the temple were absolutely amazed by what they had seen. The cripple walks. They knew him as a cripple. Now he's walking around and they're amazed by this. So Peter, he decides to take the opportunity here to bear witness to the truth that Jesus is not dead but is alive and that it matters. In verse 11, um, the crowd rushes from everywhere and there is this kind of question in the air. How did you do that, Peter? That's amazing. Who watches Britain's Got Talent magic tricks? You know, you kind of watch them and you're like, how do you do that? That's amazing. It's that same kind of thing. You see something amazing, you want to know how it happens. Well, Peter responds, verse 12. Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness... We made this man walk. 
Now, of course, Peter doesn't answer the question, does he? And there's a reason for that, because he's already answered the question back in verse 6, when he said that, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. This time, he's not going to hand the answer over so easily. He wants to bear witness. And he's got a, a very, very simple argument that he's going to argue for. That Jesus is not dead, but is alive, and that it matters. And this is how his argument is going to go. It goes like this. What power does a dead man have? Well, of course, you know, a dead man has no power. So if the man is standing because of the power of Jesus, then Jesus cannot be dead, right? And what is more, if Jesus is dead, he must have been raised from the dead. And the question, of course, is by who? And that's exactly what Peter gets to in the next verse, verse 13. At the very start, he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant. The point is not that Jesus is alive, that's assumed. The question is, what was the power behind Jesus coming to life? And Peter's response is, well, it was your God, Israel's God, that did this. Here we see for the first time why it matters that Jesus is alive. Because it demonstrates that Jesus is a part of what Israel's God is doing in history. Not just for Israel, of course, but we know for the entire nations. By bringing their God into the picture, they are brought into the picture Jesus is God's plan, and so the crowd must now respond to the news that their God brought Jesus to life. Now, I don't know if you've thought about it, but I was thinking about this recently, that it's not immediately clear why it is good news that Jesus is alive. Okay. Now, I've got a a fairly weird thought experiment here, but um, bear with me. Imagine that you have killed someone, okay, not your friend, just kind of a a random person, not even a random person, a make-believe person. Imagine you have killed somebody and you go to bed that night and you wake up the next morning and you find out that they are alive. In what sense, in an off sense, in what sense is that good news? If Jesus is alive, it matters, but it's bad news that he is alive. If Jesus is alive, he can point the finger at the person who killed him, the guilty one. If Jesus is dead, then his earthly life and his death mean absolutely nothing. But if Jesus is alive, then his life, his death and his life all of a sudden matters. And so Peter tells it how it is in the next couple of verses. This is uh, the end of 13 and 14. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned the holy, you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. That Jesus is alive is bad news here because they were guilty of disowning and killing him. And now he's alive and can testify to that. Well, how bad this bad news is entirely depends upon who this person is, right? 
So what does Peter say about who this person is? Well, firstly, he was, he was the holy and righteous one. So he was innocent. He had done no wrong. He committed no sin. It's not a good start, is it, to kill an innocent man? And secondly, this is the real bad news that bites. He was no mere man but God. Peter sums up this terrible news in verse 15, which is my favourite verse in the Bible. Verse 15. You killed the author of life. It doesn't get any more forceful than that. You killed the author of life. One does not simply kill the author of life. One does not simply disown the, and crucify the creator and sustainer of the universe, right? The author of life, by definition, authors life. What a foolish thing to do to kill the author of life. Now, Peter is quite generous here in verse 17. He says, yeah, you were ignorant. That's why you did it. But that doesn't help them, does it? They've killed the author of life. There's a problem. It matters that Jesus is alive because now they have to face the one whom they killed. Jesus was not a blasphemer nor a kingly imposter. He was not trying to be God or pretending to be God. He was God. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ and he is the king of the universe. Jesus is the author of life and, as it turns out, the defeater of death. So Peter must have been pleasantly chuffed by how his miracle went uh, earlier on, that he's got to speak about these kinds of things to the crowd because it's given him a chance to speak about what matters to him. God's work in raising Jesus from the dead and the crowd's work in disowning and killing God's holy and righteous servant. How often is humanity's evil used by God to accomplish his good ends? Your intent was for evil, Peter. You killed the author of life, but, he goes on, God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. That's the end of verse 15. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Finally, Peter uh, is getting around to answering the crowd's question. Where did the power come from to do this miracle? Verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you all see. It all comes together at this point, right? Dead men don't have power. If the, if the cripple is standing, it was only because Jesus was first standing. And if Jesus was standing, then who did we crucify? The miracle testifies to the terrible news that Jesus is no longer dead but is alive. His hearers were guilty of rejecting God's servant, the promised Messiah and King. It's a forceful point in the story. And what matters in a time like this when you find yourself guilty? 
Peter knows that money doesn't matter in a time like this. Money cannot deal with sin and its effects, like the guilt and shame that we feel. Nor can money deal with sin's most serious consequence, that is the coming wrath of God, punishment, death, for rejecting Jesus. Money can't deal with these things, Peter tells us. So what matters in a time like this? Well, of course, we already know Jesus matters. Listen to what he says in verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. So do you want coins in your pockets or do you want strength in your legs? That's the question. Do you want strength in your legs or for God to use that power to bring life from certain death? Peter tells the crowd that forgiveness was waiting. They just needed to turn, repent, to the one whom they had killed, who now stands, but not with an accusing finger looking to condemn, but with his arms wide open offering forgiveness. You see, Peter, he loves this message because it matters deeply to Peter. Because Peter, you will remember... He disowned Jesus, didn't he? He denied Jesus three times. He handed him over to be killed. He was guilty for Jesus' death. And Jesus, having come to life, goes after Peter. Not to give him what he deserved, right? But to give him what he needed, forgiveness of sins. Jesus being alive is not news for Peter to recite. Jesus matters deeply to Peter because in Jesus he found forgiveness. Jesus mattered to Peter. Uh, But there is more. Jesus matters more still. Keep reading verse 19 with me from the start. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, number one, and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. For the forgiven, there is refreshment. They're friends though. You can't have one without the other. But notice that Peter does not talk about refreshment as a, a total life experience. It's not this thing that you will just have this saturated life of refreshment once you are forgiven. You get times of refreshment. We long and pray for these moments um, that the Holy Spirit brings us. When we find the heaviness of the world just kind of lifted just a moment in our lives. Um, when those times when we kind of get, catch a glimpse of the beauty of God's creation when you're out there and you just kind of enjoy it for a bit, that refreshment. Or the times when you reflect and you look back in your life and you go, oh, God was working for my good. I'm refreshed in these moments. And ultimately, when we are nourished, when we contemplate what Jesus has done for us, when we realise that we have not been condemned but forgiven... In all kinds of moments, we find times of refreshment. They pass too quickly, don't they? But that is one of the blessings of being saved, Peter wants to tell this crowd. But for Peter, this is not something to lament. Only times, is that all we get? 
these times for Peter are a taste of what is to come. This is a foretaste of what is ours in Christ to come. Listen carefully again to verses 19 to 21, and we'll hear all three of these blessings. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, and times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and, verse 20, that he may send the Christ, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus, he must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore all things, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. You see, Jesus matters. In our times of refreshment, we taste what Jesus will bring in full on his return. We wait with these measly appetizers, waiting for the banquet to come in full. This was put in place before the beginning of time. This was foretold in the prophets. This is what Jesus has promised, and this is what we look forward to with hope. Jesus matters to Peter and he's communicating to this audience, this crowd, that Jesus matters. This is what Peter is bearing witness to. And while we did not see Jesus walking on the earth, we did not see him hang on the cross, we did not see him come from the grave, we did not see him ascend to the right hand of God where he rules with his father, this is the content of our testimony. But only if we know for ourselves that it matters to us. Are we newsreaders or are we people who testify to how Jesus matters to us? On Christmas Day in 2013, uh, it was 1 pm in the afternoon, we should have been at home enjoying Christmas. Instead, We were outside, it was minus 18, blowing a gale, it was snowing, and we were walking on an icy track out of the village of Borovsi to the village cemetery. We were at the very back of the procession with our friends and the other villagers. In front of us was the open um, casket on a rickety old wooden carriage that was being towed by a a, a chugging um, tractor. In front of that was the grieving family who were being led out by... Um, a priest in his black vestment holding up a large black cross. You can imagine it. The young men from the village who were digging the grave, they hadn't quite finished when we arrived. They still had more dirt to move. As well as the remains of an infant and a bag of toys which had been buried in that same grave a year earlier. Ivanka, who was about 60 years old, Um, was a part of our little village um, house church. It was her her elderly mother who was to be buried that day. Tragically, her mother died in a horrific um, house fire a week earlier in the village, um, for which Ivanka blamed herself. The infant's remains were those of her own, um, Ivanka's own granddaughter, who had died a year earlier. It was traumatic for Ivanka and for many others who were there. The priests at that time uh, blessed food and other items of clothing and stuff to go into the coffin that that was put into the ground to be buried with the mother. And having already burned the incense 
um, he prayed for the dead mother. Ivanka had been coming to our group for some time, but at this moment she turned to the Christianity of her mother. But all she found there was burden, the burden of death. Instead of finding hope and life in Jesus, she found burden. She bore guilt and shame because she thought that she caused her mother's death. And the most terrifying burden of all, the responsibility to earn her mother's safe passage into heaven with her good works, prayers, paying for and lighting candles and kissing icons. What matters in a time like this? Jesus doesn't matter, does he? Jesus is not in sight. So who will bear witness to Ivanka that Jesus matters in a time like this? Who will testify that Jesus actually matters? Two weeks later, we were um, eight of us were gathered uh, in a small little house in the village including Ivanka, who was there. And we were singing songs and we, we prayed like we usually did before we took time to study. And we were working through 1 Thessalonians. I don't know if you've read through 1 Thessalonians. It's a, it's a great letter. But in chapter 4, we came to verses 13 and 18. I'm not going to go into the actual text, but to say that the Apostle Paul here encourages people who have lost loved ones. And that night, as we moved through that text, we rejoiced together over Paul's words in verse 14 there that Jesus died and rose again and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And we took heed of the words in verse 18. We encouraged each other with these words. And like Paul's readers, Ivanka that night Learn to grieve the dead as one with hope in Jesus, which is what Paul called his readers to in verse 13. To grieve the dead as one with hope in Jesus. And so we ended our time in prayer, as we always did, but this time it was different because Ivanka prayed for the first time ever in our group. Before she did not or could not for whatever reason, but this time she did. She thanked God for opening her eyes and taking the weight off her. She thanked God for what Jesus had done. She testified that she could feel sad, but that she was freed from the burden of her mother's death and her salvation. She learned that night that Jesus is alive and that it actually matters. To her, not in principle, to her. That night her faith came to life as the Spirit broke into her heart to reveal the truth of the hope that we have in Jesus. That was a moment of refreshment for us as we heard her pray and give testimony. But it was way more than that for Ivanka. It was salvation That moment of refreshment is for you too, not just for Katie and myself. It's for you too. And let me tell you why. Because this church, St. Matthew's, at that time was supporting us 
to share what matters to us. That Jesus is not dead but is alive and that he matters. Because Jesus mattered to you, St. Matthews, Ivanka and many others around the world um, are hearing the news that Jesus matters to them too. This is mission. Because Jesus matters for you, the mission of Jesus, of reaching people with the news that he's not dead but is alive and that it matters, matters to you. This is mission. Mission is worthy of the time that you commit to prayer because Jesus matters to you. Mission is worthy of the money that you commit to it Because Jesus matters not in principle, but to you. Mission is worthy of your life. Not because Jesus matters in principle, but because Jesus matters to you. Mission has everything to do with what matters. Not in principle, but to you. Our commitment to mission has everything to do with how much Jesus matters to us personally. So can I encourage you to enjoy the beautiful news, God's mercy as you experience what it means to be forgiven, having disowned Jesus, the author of life. Enjoy that. Bask in those moments of refreshment that come your way. Dwell in the hope of our final restoration at Jesus' coming. They are ours to enjoy. And if Jesus matters to you in these ways, then let's not leave it there. There is still a need to fulfill Jesus' desire that the world out there will hear that Jesus is alive that he brings forgiveness, times of refreshment, and the hope of life that is to come. If Jesus matters to you, then proclaim that Jesus matters to you here, in your university, in your classes, in your family, wherever. And if Jesus matters to you, then use every ounce of your resources to see that message go to the ends of the earth. That is, take up Jesus' mission. For the sake of people like Ivanka all over the world. And for the sake ultimately of our king who is not dead, but who is alive. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we desire to have your heart for the nations. Forgive us for the time, for the times when our hearts are more concerned about our lives and what we're going to do and where we're going to go. But I pray that you would give us perspective to see your desire for the nations. Please help us to know the depth of blessing that it is to know Jesus, to be forgiven of our sin for the times of refreshment that we get to enjoy. 
and for that beautiful hope that we look forward to in being caught up in your plan to restore all things. Please, Father, give us a heart to have this blessing that we enjoy shared with those around the world who long for it. By your spirit igniting us a passion for Jesus, such that our lives would reflect the cost you paid to reach us. So take our lives and our time, our skills and our passions, our finances and our resources, so that Jesus would matter to more and more people around the world. And we pray, the, we pray this in the name of our Lord and Saviour, who is alive and not dead. Jesus Christ. Amen.